Well, this morning I, I want to ask you how, you know, watching that video, thinking about today and, and it being Mother's Day, how do you view your mom? I would imagine that, that all of us would probably answer that a little differently in how that we, we view our mom, depending on where you are in your life right now, whether you're uh, a younger, maybe a teenager, and how you look at your mom right now might be very different than how you look at your mom when you're an adult child and watching your mom go through the seasons of life. I'm sure that some of you would be, if I asked you to come up here and talk about your mom, you would, you would be pretty sentimental in talking about your mom. Some of you have had to do that. Some of you would laugh at your mom as you, you talked about your mom. She makes you laugh. A lot of funny things. I was at a, a funeral this week. Someone watched two sons and a daughter come and talk about their mom. And there was a lot of great stories with a lot of laughter. And I like those kind of funerals because you celebrate the life of that person. And there's some of you right now who when I say mom, you roll your eyes. You know who you are. Mom's maybe somebody you're not happy with right now. Or maybe the stupidest person in the world right now. Because she just doesn't get it but she's still your mom. There's some that may speak very respectfully and reverently of your mom as you think about all that she sacrificed for you. And, and I'll be honest, I don't think we really ever understand that till we get to be a parent ourselves or maybe a teacher where we're leading and caring for other kids in that role. We don't really get that, how it is. But we would, I guess, viewing our mom is different for all of us, whether it's our birth mom or it's the mom or the moms that actually raised us to who we are today. And she's special. God, in His infinite wisdom and His incredibly creative plan, gave us women, created women, and gave them the capacity and wired them to be a mom, a mother. An amazing responsibility that is absolutely so crucial for all of us in the development of a child. And, and that alone in itself, thinking about that responsibility, can seem overwhelming. And I, and I know you moms know that. It is overwhelming. And in reality, it can be overwhelming without the love and the support of many folks surrounding you that can help you with that. First and foremost, I believe being a mom, it requires a deep faith in God the Creator who created you and created your child. A relationship with God, not a distance thing. If you were here last week and, 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 and heard Pete Orta sit on this stage and talk about that deist philosophy of, of God kind of gets everything going, but then He backs up and He's not involved. That's not the kind of God that we have. He is involved. He loves relationship with us. So it requires a faith in God, a, a close relationship with God. To be the mom you need to be and a deep dependence on God who created this child and brought this child into your life for a reason and a purpose. And that's important. So if I ask you this morning, if I said, hey, I want you to make a list for me of the top three moms out of the Bible. And you started jotting them down on the back of your bulletin. What would be the, the top three moms? Think about it. Uh, Mary. Uh, you know, who would you put? Now, when I do premarital counseling, a lot of times I ask people, I say, hey, who had the best marriage in the Bible? And there's always this kind of blank stare like, uh, there's, nobody's really commended for that. And nobody's really commended necessarily for being a, a mom in the Bible. But let me just throw out a few names. Did you think of some? How about Eve, the first mom? How hard was that being the very first mom? 
I mean, you can't talk to any other mom. There was no other moms. Hey, how'd that baby thing go for you? Never done that. Sarah, Hagar, remember that dysfunction? Rebecca, Rachel and Leah, speaking of dysfunction. If you don't, and, and, and I say these things like you should know them, and if you don't know them, don't feel bad about it. I hope it challenges you. Go, man, there is some amazingly crazy stories in the Bible that you should read about family dysfunction. It'll make you feel better about your family, I promise. And it will give you hope that God can work through some crazy things that you're going through. I lie to you not. It's, it's, it's good stuff. How about um, uh, Jochebed? You might know who that was. That was Moses' mom, you know, who who knew that if she didn't do something, he was going to get killed. And God had a, had a plan through her being obedient. How about Hannah, Samuel's mom? How about Bathsheba? What? She was still a mom and probably was a good one, even though she had a, a season in her life where things weren't so great. How about the widow at Zarephath who a couple of times Elijah begged Elijah to, to do something to heal her son? I think about Naomi, Ruth. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think about one of my favorite ladies I preached on this last Mother's Day, the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus because she had a demon-possessed daughter. Can you imagine? I know we all think we have demon-possessed kids sometimes, <laughs> but this was for real. It, is, it was real, and, and Jesus kind of dismissed her. And then she kept after Jesus and showed her faith was so strong. She would do anything to have her kid. And Jesus commended her on her faith. So I think about those kind of mothers. And, and although do we, we briefly read some amazing, amazing things that moms did in the Bible, again, there is no one mom that's kind of set up and say, hey, this is the one you should you know, pattern your life by, mom. And you go, well, you know, Mary... But we, don't, we, we hear some things about Mary, but not once do I remember her specifically in the Bible being commended for being a good mom. It talks about her. But I think there's a reason for that in the marriage thing. We don't see because you know what God said? There's going to be ups and downs in your marriage. There's going to be ups and downs in your mothering. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. I don't care who you are because nobody is going to mother the same kid. No one's going to mother. No one's going to have the unique situation that you do and the kids that you do. And God knew that. And you were going to need him to walk you through all of that. But he created you to do that. And there's no doubt in both the Old and New Testaments or in the Old and New Covenants, mothers are to be honored by their children. There's no doubt. But how should we honor our mothers? And I know in our, our culture today, we say, oh, you know, I think a lot of young people get a bad rap. Oh, man, if I talked to my mom like that back in the day, she would have backhanded me. Oh, you get arrested today. It's called defects on you like that. But back then, you get popped and you know what? You either straightened up or, you know, thank you, I'll have another. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of the way it was. You didn't disrespect mama. And I'm not saying I'm not obviously advocating for abuse or anything like that, but I'm just saying sometimes we feel like, well, this generation is disrespectful. There's always been people who disrespected their moms, but there's always been people who respected and honored their moms in every part of history. And that's what we need more of, those who respect and honor their moms. But what if your mother, because of what she did or didn't do for you, doesn't seem, and I'm sure there's somebody here today that's feeling this maybe, and if you were in that boat, I'm sorry. And for some of y'all who Mother's Day it's hard for, I'm sorry. 
It was hard to get here today. You go, oh, they're going to talk about all that Mother's Day stuff, and I really, that, that's just hard for me. So, so I'm trying to be sensitive to you today. But, but maybe you think your mom doesn't deserve the honor in your estimation because of what she did or didn't do for you. That's very possible that some of you have, have, have felt that or experienced that. But this is where being a follower of Jesus can be difficult. This is where we're challenged beyond our comfort zone and our feelings to say, I've got to be who God's created me to be, even in the midst of the unfairness of of maybe how my mom was or my upbringing was. So I want us to to go this morning to look at Jesus and how he responded and reacted to his mother, Mary. Um, And there's a text in Luke 8 that we're going to have up on the screen here in just a minute that's always seemed odd to me and kind of made me scratch my head because it seems in this passage, it seems in this text, that Jesus is really, at, at worst... He's being disrespectful to his mom, and at best, he's kind of being dismissive of his mom. And I've always kind of scratched my head and go, why didn't Jesus show a little more love to his mom? So we're going to read this, and and, and probably some of y'all have seen this before, maybe had the same thoughts. Um, Luke chapter 8, starting in in verse 19, there it is. So so now Jesus' mother and brothers came uh, to see him, but they were not able to, to get near him because of the crowd. Jesus has been getting very popular, and there's just crowds around him all the time, and his mom and brothers are coming to see him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus' response is, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And I always have gone, wow, that's, couldn't you have said, oh, that's great. Tell them I'll be there in just a minute. Love you, mom. I see you. I'll be there in a minute. But just this kind of, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And Matthew and Mark also have an account of this very, very similar. And again, it's Jesus acknowledges that his mom and his brothers are out there and they, they want to they wanna see him, but he's got all these crowds and he just says, hey, it's, it's, you know, if you're obeying God's law, if you're hearing God's word and you're obeying that, you're putting it into practice, these people around me, they are my mother. And my brothers, they, and you're like, wow, you're, you're these strangers that come from all over, they're equating them with your family? Seems a, a little odd. Like I said, it seems dismissive at best and disrespectful at worst, but Jesus, I think, there's, there's something. And then in Luke 11, a few pages over, there's a similar situation where Je- Jesus is teaching about something, and a lady in the crowd yells out this. She says, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And you would think Jesus would say, Thank you. You're right. I have a wonderful mother. She is blessed. She is wonderful. She did do a great job raising me. But Jesus says this instead. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus, you couldn't say thank you? You couldn't say, yeah, my mom is wonderful. I have a, I'm so blessed to have her as my mom. Just rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. But do you see how this is consistent with what it was in chapter 8? And it's interesting to me that Luke is consistent with these narratives. Now, this is a question I've had. Where did Luke get his information? He was not an eyewitness like John. He was not an eyewitness like Matthew. So he had to interview a lot of people, and he tells us in the first part of his gospel that he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he wants him to know about the things that he's been taught and why they are true. And so I believe with all my heart that Luke actually probably sat down with Mary and got a lot of information straight from her. How else would we know? Where do we go when we want to hear the Christmas story? We go to Luke. He's the one who does 
I mean, all the details. How did he know that? Well, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, Craig. I understand that. But I have to believe that part of that inspiration of the Holy Spirit was sitting down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and recounting the details of what happened when she was told she was going to be pregnant with the Son of God. I think that's amazing. He's the only gospel writer who gives us that that detailed information. And Luke tells us that the angel told her that she was highly favored, that you have found favor with God. So what that tells me is that even at a young age, she had been listening to God's Word, allowing God's Word to penetrate her heart, mind, and soul, and she was obeying God's Word. So when an angel came to her, and although it was crazy what he was saying, she says, may it be as you say. She was ready to obey God. And so from the very beginning, Mary is one who heard God's word and put it into practice. And maybe Jesus is acknowledging the faithfulness and obedience of his mother when he says these things with with public people. He doesn't commend her. He just says, rather... And you ever had an inside joke with somebody? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You have this inside joke and somebody will say something and you'll look at each other and you go, hey, you know, and y'all just start laughing. Everybody goes, what are you laughing at? It's an inside joke. Or you would get it. But I think maybe Jesus and his mother had something like this. Maybe, a, maybe not a joke, but they had an inside perspective of understanding. I don't need to raise you up, Mary. You don't have to raise me up. We are raising God the Father. That's what we always do. And when people try to commend us, we take them down and point them back to God always. And I kind of wonder if maybe that was going on. Or maybe Jesus is challenging people to have the correct view of people in their life. It's not so much in titles or roles, but in the faithfulness of the actions of the people every day who seek God's will in every aspect of their lives. And mothers have that opportunity to do that. You know, when we have a a child who maybe has a a famous mom, hey, my mom is, I don't know, she's a, a famous singer. And all the other kids go, whoa. And we automatically assume because your mom's a famous singer, your dad's a pro player, or your mom's a politician, or your mom's this or that, they have a high position or role that they automatically, that means they're of of better character or something. Is that always true? We've learned in life that's not necessarily true, is it? But sometimes we put so much emphasis on the titles or roles, and Jesus and his mom are going, we're not doing that. We are called by God, first and foremost, to serve and point people back to God the Father. Just like Kevin was talking about in worship, we're to worship Him. We're already at the highest point. God has elevated us. We're already there. Now we want to point people to that direction, not to us. But in both situations, Jesus has this large crowd gathered around Him and seems to to want people to stay focused on what He has just taught them. And there's this possible distraction. Hey, your mom and brothers are out there. Oh, hey, Mom. Yeah. And he's like, hey, that's my Jesus. Did you see that? Jesus, Mom, let's go talk to her. He's like, no, I want you to focus on what we were just talking about. And in the Gospels, there's, there's three specific conversations that we have recorded about Jesus actually has with his mom, uh, Mary. And the, uh, the first one is in Luke chapter 2. Again, Luke has these... Very intimate details about Jesus, and and we don't know much about him from his teenagers, but we know there's his birth at about two years old or so, and then we don't hear anything, and then all of a sudden we hear about him at at age 12. And I'm just going to read these. These aren't going to be on the screen. That's that's, that's just something I told those guys you have to do. So Luke 2, and and he says this. When uh, Jesus' mom and dad have gone to Passover, as they always do to Jerusalem, and they're on their way back home, and it's been a couple of days of traveling, and all of a sudden... They go, hey, uh, where's Jesus? 
I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. No, I don't have Jesus. And they start looking, hey, has anybody seen Jesus? And nobody's seen Jesus. And they've been traveling for two days. Now, this is awkward. You know? And again, I'm thinking, Luke's talking to Mary about this. And he, she goes, I hesitate to tell you this story because don't put that in the gospel. This is off the record. No, we don't need everybody to know that I lost Jesus. But, you know, this is my, this is my hunch on this is that it was actually Joseph's fault. And this is, this is why I believe this. How many times has my wife said, can you watch the kids? And she goes, really? Will you watch the kids? Okay, I got this. Golly. And I say, okay, kids, you know. And I go right back to rambling. And then all of a sudden the kid's gone. They're like, whoa. I remember at Stone Mountain one night, we, we lost Sawyer for a while. And it was very scary. And it was my fault. Because I was supposed to be watching and I was not. So that's just my hunch on that. So Mary throws that in there. But so they, they have to go two more days worrying for two days. Some of y'all been in this boat all the way back to Jerusalem. And, and Luke tells us when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, speaking to the creator of the universe, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I mean, you would expect that after two days of travel all the way back and then finding him just sitting in the temple talking with the, you know, the religious leaders. And Jesus' response, and I don't think it was sarcastic, I don't think it was you know, disrespectful at all. Like I know at age 12 it starts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I got a 17-year-old, I got a 14-year-old, and I got a 9-year-old, and I keep trying to push the 9 and the 5-year-old back. Please don't get to be 12. Please. And older, no, I love them all, but y'all, y'all know what it's like. But he wasn't disrespectful. He goes, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. But listen to what Jesus did. Even though there was this parent-child moment, he, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And I was go, what do you mean she treasured all these things in her heart? She treasured what? Being frantic for two days looking for her son? Yes, she did. But she didn't understand it, but she still treasured it. And I thought, that makes sense. There's times, moms, isn't there, when your kid does something absolutely crazy and you don't understand. Have you ever said that? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? And they give you some answer and you go, what? It makes no sense to you. But now you think about that a year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years down the road and you still treasure that moment in your heart, don't you? Because it's special. It's part of your relationship. So that was the... So what do we make of this? Jesus was curious as to why his parents would not have known where he had to be in his father's house. Why don't y'all know this? He's not being disrespectful. He's not being argumentative. He's simply reminding his parents, you know who I am. This is what I was called to do. You know my mission. You know it's special. You both heard it from an angel. You know this. You should have known. He's reminding them. In another conversation we find in chapter 2, and Jesus is probably about 30 years old. So we go from the birth, maybe 2 years old, to an encounter with Jesus at 12 years old. And then there's all this in-between time from 12 to 30. And someone said to me this morning after the first service, you know why there was all that time between, <laughs> between the, the 12-year-old and the 30-year-old? Because even God doesn't know how to deal with teenagers. That's what somebody said this morning. <laughs> That's not scripture, but it is um, pretty funny, I thought. So anyway, Jesus is about 30 years old. They're at a wedding, and at the wedding, you know, you have to have wine. That's just part of it. You know, they've been watching all the commercials we do between every sports event. Now, if you don't have 
cases and cans and bottles of all that free-flowing alcohol, you can't possibly have a good time at a party. Got to have it. So they're, they're doing this, and all of a sudden, the party's starting to kind of hit a, a bad moment. And when the wine was gone, Luke tells us, I mean, John tells us, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine, Jesus. <laughs> you can do something. I know you can. I've seen you. I know you. And so Jesus says, woman, and this is not a disrespectful term, they're just calling her woman. It's written in the Greek. But he says, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So nearby, Jesus told the servants to, to pour water into these jars. And uh, uh, they hold about 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some and take it to the master of the banquet. And he did so. And the master was floored. He goes, this is the best wine. You have saved the last, the best for last. Usually after everybody's drunk, you can just throw anything out there. Nobody cares. Bring the cheap stuff out. Everybody's drunk. They don't care. But you have saved the best for last. How did this happen? And it was Jesus. Now I think about this, this encounter with Jesus. You know, Did Mary know that Jesus had a mission? Yes. Did she know that there was a timing of this mission? Can you imagine the conversations that Jesus and Mary had over the years? I believe they were so close, y'all. Some of you who are close with your mom, you know those conversations. And they had these conversations about, is it time? And we, we're not sure what happened to Joseph. The, the Gospels don't tell us what happened to Joseph. But we believe through other historians that possibly Joseph died while Jesus was a child or a teenager. We don't know why, but we never hear about Joseph again. And so maybe Mary was basically a single mom in, 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 in dealing with, with, with Jesus as, as, as he grew up. But it's interesting, she knows he has a timing, but she doesn't get upset. She doesn't throw a guilt trip on him. She simply just says to the servants, do whatever he says. If he doesn't say anything, fine, but I trust, I have faith in my son that he's going to do something about this. And maybe it's not his time yet, but I trust God will work through this. I see this awkward moment for a family who's having a wedding and there's not enough wine, so Jesus, do something about it. And Jesus seems reluctant to get involved in this wedding dilemma. I can understand that. Mom, why are you embarrassing me? Can I just come and just enjoy the, the wedding without all that? So she simply tells him, do whatever he tells you. She seems to understand that Jesus has a mission. And there was a special timing to it. But maybe, maybe she needs to give him a little nudge as moms think they need to do. You ever had that with your mom? She tells you to do something and you know you can do it, but you don't want to because the timing's not right. Go over there and sit with them. Go say hey to that girl. Mom. Hey, there's your teacher from school. Mom. So we understand that to a certain extent. But, but we understand that, that sometimes it's a timing thing. But, but in this case, I don't know how God worked it out, but it's a miracle. It was Jesus' first miracle. And God used that little encounter between mother and son to, to show the first miracle of Jesus. And the third conversation in the Gospels is from John as well, chapter 19. When Jesus is on the cross, and a lot of you are familiar with this as well, Jesus is going through... Six hours of excruciating pain on being nailed to a cross. And he looks down from the cross and sees his mom there. Can you imagine? It's bad enough to have to go through that, but to have to watch your mom and even some of your other friends and people that love you watch you going through that incredible pain and suffering and seeing their hurt as you're having to go through that. But he looks down 
And John tells us, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And John's talking about himself there. So Jesus, in this excruciating pain of crucifixion, is looking down and saying, I need to care for for my mom. I want her to know that I love her, even in this state, even though I know I can't imagine the anguish she's going through. I want her to know that I love her, and I want her to be taken care of when I leave. And so Jesus took care of that. So what do we learn from Jesus through all these things I've read? Maybe it's made you scratch your head a little bit, but what do we learn from Jesus about honoring mothers? Well, first, that we should. We should honor our mothers, but not idolize or idealize our mamas I talked about earlier. Sometimes we can do this. We see them for who they are and for who they are not. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of our moms, don't we? Now, we have a lot of expectations because they do amazing things. They really do. But sometimes, moms, we have unrealistic expectations of our children, and we need to balance that and that relationship. God made them unique and for a purpose. Encourage your moms in their true identity in Christ. They need to know that. And this is something interesting as we, as we talk about this. Um, anyone, Jesus said this in, an, in another encounter. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you all remember hearing that when Jesus said it? And you probably go, okay, I'm out then. I guess I'm not a disciple because I'm not loving you more than you love my flesh and blood. Can't do it. But that's not really what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you idealize, when you idolize a parent or a child, you're forgetting that God is part of that creation. It's a relationship with all of you. And when you leave him out and idolize or idealize that child, and we can do it with our kids too, moms. When I do premarital counseling, I make sure I say this to to the husbands-to-be. And I bet most of you husbands... When you first get married in the first year or so, it's great. You know, you're in the honeymoon phase. And then when you have that, um, you know, when you find out you're pregnant for the first time and it's either like, what? Or, what? You know, I mean, it's, it can be a surprise. But it's all great. And then all of a sudden, when that kid is born, I tell dad, I say, you need to be ready for this. Because all of a sudden, you're going to go, hey, remember me? Remember me, your husband? Any guys? You don't have to raise your hand and get in trouble. But we know how that feels. And rightly so. You are all of a sudden going to move out of the role that you were into another role. And now mom has to focus all this time and attention onto this incredible gift that God has given you. And she's going to be the primary caretaker in most cases. Not always, but in most cases. So that happens sometimes. But we don't idealize it. But we need to have a healthy balance there too. That our husband's moms know that they're still, they still matter and that relationship is important. And your kids need to see that. And we need to speak the truth to our moms in love. Deep, rich conversations. And mom will speak the truth in love. We need to speak that to our kids. Not pretend things aren't happening, but speak the truth in love. It's part of a healthy relationship with one's mother. Speaking the truth is essential to the growth of both of us. And so when we have these come-to-Jesus meetings, you ever said that? We're going to have to have a come to Jesus meeting. And sometimes the truth needs to come out. And y'all have had those. I've had those. It can be awkward. But we need to have those. And sometimes it's with our children. I know what you're doing. You need to stop. That's destructive. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt because you're hurting. You're doing something destructive. We have to have these conversations. And sometimes it's a conversation we have to have with our moms that's awkward. There will be a season for most of you when you might have to say, Mama, I'm taking the keys from you because you're going to kill somebody. 
I know it's okay to laugh because it's true. You've been in the back seat, you know, clenching, going, oh my gosh, we're going to die. I remember that with my grandfather, and I really thought I was going to die. But I remember my uncle and my having to go to my grandfather and in tears say, I can't let you drive anymore. And how difficult that is. But I love you, but I can't. Because I love you, I can't. And that's where a kid all of a sudden knows this is what it was like to be a parent. Some of y'all know what that's like. And what better way to bring joy to our mother than for her to see us actually practicing what she taught us. There's nothing that brings a, a mom more joy than that. Seeing us authentically loving God and loving people the way she did for us. And then seeing us. Now sometimes we can be so mean to our siblings. Is that not true? That drives me crazy. Me and my wife sometimes will lay in bed staring at something and go, where did we go wrong? They are so mean to each other. Have y'all ever had these conversations? And you wonder what in the world. And then you'll see them do something out of the goodness of their heart to somebody else, a perfect stranger, and show this incredible compassion to somebody else. And you'll go, they do have it in them. They do get it, but, but, but why sometimes? Why not all the time? But believe me, they're absorbing more than we realize. They're absorbing more. And when you pour love into them constantly, constantly in grace, they are eventually going to get that love and that grace, and they're going to extend it. And the last thing I think that we learn from Jesus is that our mother is to be taken care of to the very end of her days. I was at a funeral this week and I said to the guy um, whose mom passed away, and he had other siblings, but this guy was the primary caretaker of his mom for years. And it was extremely difficult. She got Alzheimer's and the things that he had to, to deal with was extremely difficult, him and his wife both. But I said to him, I said, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you honoring your mom till the very end. A lot of people don't do that, do they? They don't want to deal with it, so we just you know ship them off somewhere and I'm not saying putting them in a, in a retirement home or anything like that is necessarily bad. That's not. Sometimes you have to have help. And please don't hear me saying that and making judgment on that. But sometimes people do not take care of their parents to the very end and they need to. And let me tell you something. Your kids, your grandkids are watching you and the way you treat your parents, that's how they're going to treat you. Is that not true? And let me say something too to you young people about going back to the uh, to the marriage thing, people that you're dating, whether you're in high school or college, the way the person that you're dating and maybe thinking about marrying treats their mom is a huge deal. If they are disrespectful to their mom, that better be a red flag to you. I don't care how good looking they are, how cool they are, how sexy they are, whatever. That is a red flag if they are disrespectful to their parents. And you need to know that. And you need to watch yourself. You better be putting on the, the respect to your parents too and showing that that's how I'm going to be. In Mark, the seventh chapter, Jesus also said, hey, you need to take care of your parents. The very end. He, he, he was talking to the um, religious leaders and they had this little thing they were doing that Jesus called them on. He says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their mother or father is to be put to death. Aren't you glad we don't have the old covenant anymore? None of us would be around. But you say that if anyone declares 
that what might have been used to help their mother or father is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. And let me explain what that means. Basically, some of these people were saying, hey, I've got this money that I'm supposed to um, take care of, I have, and it's set aside to take care of my mom and dad till they die, but I'm going to give it to the church. And you religious leaders are saying, yeah, that's good, you give it to church, and then you know what, we'll let you off the hook, you don't have to take care of your parents. How is that right? And Jesus is calling them on that. So I want to go back to mothers, going back to our text this morning. You remember in that, in that video it said the weight of glory. And y'all, only moms understand that. There's a time where one, there's these times in life where there's just this joy that wells up inside of you, this weight of glory where you say, they get it. And maybe if, if you know, it's a teacher and you go, finally, after all that teaching, the kids get it. You understand that way to go. They finally get it. It's all been worth it. All the struggles. And you're at the end of the school year, you teachers, and I know you're about to pull your hair out. I know you kids are too. Everybody's on pins and needles. We want to all, believe me, the teachers want to be out as much as you do. But there's times like this where we got to hang in there and realize, let these things that they've been teaching you absorb it. You've been blessed to have it, and that's the same way with moms. So back to our text this morning. Make it an intentional, whether you're a mom or a grandmom or a teacher or a neighbor or whatever you are where you're involved with kids, make it an intentional goal to equip your kids to hear God's Word and to encourage and challenge them to obey it in every aspect of their life, even when it's areas that we don't like what God says. Kids need to hear that. And I know we're in this culture where this is what we are in all the time. You know what I say now? My kids hate it. I go, get off your crack. This is what this is. It's almost like a drug. But let me tell you, there's some amazing Bible apps that you can use to encourage your kids to hear God's Word. And I encourage you to do whatever. It can be in a different form, but we need to have our kids. That's what's wrong with our culture. We don't know God's Word. And if we don't know God's word, then we're not going to know how. We're just going to listen to, oh, do I listen to the guys in the locker room? Do I listen to the, the popular girls at school? Do I listen to this guy on YouTube? Who do I listen to? No, you need to listen to God. His, day, his word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we can trust it for our lives because he is the author of life. So mothers, there's no better thing you can do than to intentionally equip your kids to hear God's word and encourage and challenge them always. It never stops. I want to close this morning with something I've read almost every Mother's Day, and it came from a lady named Amy Young, and she wrote it on a blog a few years ago, but I want you just to hear as I want to kind of close with with this to mothers. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badges of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss this year through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish or insensitive things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those of you who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you today. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you today. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. It is not and was not your fault. 
To those mothers who have experienced abuse at the hands of their own children, we grieve your experience and say to you also, it was not and is not your fault. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you today. We honor you. We ask God's blessing on you. And we pray you will walk humbly with your God. Thank you, moms. We honor you today. Well, I know this morning we're going to offer an invitation. And the interesting thing is is that God has all those attributes that moms have. God does. How is that possible? But He does. I think it's interesting that Jesus, when He was about to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross, He's, he's, he's overwhelmed with sorrow for His own people. And He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I long to, and you know what he used as an example? A mother chicken. How I long to to bring you under my wings and gather you. That's God speaking how the mother qualities. And that's how he loves us. 